0: I was just, uh, my wife just gave me an order. Uh, I'm sure you noticed we're going to celebrate the Lord's table tonight. We're going to share communion. And for those of you that are new with us, we have open communion here. All who uh, have professed Christ as Lord and Savior and followed Him in baptism are welcome to partake of communion. So be preparing your hearts as as we uh, look into God's Word. Ancient words ever true, changing me changing you we have come with open hearts oh let the ancient words impart there's a reason that we sing that chorus every week in fact it came from the congregation someone suggested someone said or some group of folks said you know it seems like that's who we are we ought to close with that and that is who we are we are all about God's word we're 100 about God's word in this church if you go to our website you're going to see 20 uh, a list of 20 values and each of those values, it's, it's how we do worship and how we do ministry and how we live together in the body of Christ. But those 20 values have the same thing. Uh, the, they have one thing in common. Uh, they're all supported by Scripture. They're all supported by a, a Scripture reference. Um, the other thing you'll see on our website is this. We affirm the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. The 66 books of the Old and New Testaments alone are the trustworthy Infallible, inerrant Word of God. Uh, if you've been here any length of time, you know this is true. We unapologetically stand on God's Word. We believe it's His unadulterated, preserved Word for His people. We believe we just happen to believe the God of the Bible is big enough to keep His Word perfect for His people. And I know many people will teach and say that that it's been adulterated by men. We don't believe that. We believe God's bigger than that, and we hold to the Word of God exclusively. In the Word of God, God says what He means, and He means what He says, right? That's why we, that's why we teach it to our kids, and that's why we preach it every Sunday. Uh, in the two and a half years we've been here, we've had 31 nationalities come through the church in every possible conceivable denomination, some I've never heard of, okay? That's a lot of diversity, but that kind of diversity can be a huge problem, but it's not a problem for us because this is what we do, okay? Okay? And, and I tell people, I say, well, we leave, if we have denominational baggage, we leave it at the door because we're just going to stand on the Word of God. We have no denominational agenda in this church. We just have a biblical one. And the Lord didn't send Karen and I here uh, to propagate denominationalism. He sent us here to uh, be used of Him to build a church that would stand on His Word, that would love His Word, that would preach and teach and propagate His Word. Everything else is speculation, okay? it's not in the Bible it's speculation all right I got another one already all right thanks brother you know I'd start paying for that every once in a while I don't know maybe a euro per amen or something Um, but (laughs) (laughs) people you know you know how people and people ask me say well Jim what's your angle what's your spin What's your denominational perspective? And I can say in clear and good conscience, I do not have one. I don't bring one here. And if you ever hear me uh, leading you down the denominational path, you can come and talk to me about it. You say, well, Jim, I don't see what you're talking about in the Bible. You have permission to come and chastise me. If you hear me up here saying something that you can't support biblically, you come talk to me. You rebuke me. Okay? Because I'm not here. I'm not... uh, Karen and I, and, and this church is not about denominationalism it's about the word of God it's about magnifying Christ through his word so I said all that to say this I'm going to preach on baptism tonight okay I'm going to preach on baptism and I'm not going to preach a denominational view or angle or slant I'm just simply going to open up the word of God and let it speak to us now no doubt in a congregation this size with this kind of diversity we come from different denominational backgrounds with differing views and opinions about baptism. But I'm not going to get into that game. I'm not going to talk about, well, this view is better than this view. I'm just going to go to the Bible and let us see what God says about baptism. Okay? We're just going to see what God says about baptism. Uh, And I want us to understand this. This is not my opinion. Uh, This is God's opinion. And you know, we've talked about this a lot. My opinion, your opinion, the opinion of 10,000 denominational theologians at the end of the day it doesn't hold a candle to God's opinion and so that's what we're going to try to do we're going to try to look at God's opinion on baptism Jesus sanctioned two ordinances in his church anybody know what they are there are two ordinances in Jesus' church baptism and what we're going to do a little bit later the Lord's Supper these are the two ordinances that uh, the Lord Jesus sanctioned in his word Having said that, well, let me say this. And both of them are symbols of a greater spiritual truth. Okay? Both of them are symbols of a greater spiritual truth. Now, having said that, I want to talk about symbols just for a minute. I want to draw an analogy about symbols. Some symbols carry no deep or profound uh, meaning. Uh, But some carry inexpressible emotions and feelings. And here's the analogy I want to draw. A second grade teacher can write the word L-O-V-E on the blackboard... And she can tell or he can tell uh, their second grade students that this is the English language symbol for love, right? Now, the teacher can write it up there and feel no love. She can be absolutely devoid of love and talk about this symbol. Is that not correct? That is correct. That's not the way, that's not the kind of symbol baptism is. Biblical baptism is not devoid of of love it's full of the affections of the heart it's a heart fully engaged a heart fully in love with jesus christ so that's not the kind of symbol that i'm talking about the kind of symbol i'm talking about is the kind of symbol a guy gives to a woman that he's hopelessly in love in hopeless hopelessly in love with so what is the guy when he, t- he takes her out and he takes her to a nice place and he, he asks her this question and then he gives her this symbol what is the symbol that this man gives this woman a ring, a ring. That's the kind of symbol I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of symbol that's full of heartfelt emotion. That's what baptism is meant to be. That's what biblical baptism is supposed to be. This man's committing his life to this woman. And when we come in in biblical baptism, we're doing the same. We're committing our life to Jesus Christ, right? We're saying, I don't want to be without you. I want you in my life. You're important to me. And that man devotes his life to that woman. And this is, what, this is the kind of symbol that biblical baptism is. And I want us to understand that it's about a heart fully in love with Jesus Christ. It's about a heart desiring to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's about a heart devoting itself to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a heart proclaiming to all the world, I love this beautiful God and I'm going to live for Him. That's what biblical baptism is. Okay, It's nothing less than that. I know that, that sometimes religious guys and denominations, they make it less than that. They just kind of make it some kind of dead religious thing. Friends, b- biblical baptism is not that. It's a heart fully engaged, a heart in love with the Lord Jesus. The short definition of biblical baptism is this. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. An outward symbol of an inward reality. It portrays outwardly the heart of the true believer. That's why I had Sam read uh, Romans uh, chapter 6, 1-7. through 7. It's a perfect word picture. Look at verse 4. It's a perfect word picture of what happens when someone goes down under the water and comes back up. We'll talk about the mode of baptism in a few minutes. But look at verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, in order that as, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life okay first thing I want to do I just want to do a survey of baptism in the New Testament this is the first thing I'm gonna do just want to do a survey we know that that John the Baptist began the practice right John the Baptist introduced baptism in the New Testament I love what John Piper says about this as John the Baptist came baptizing uh, the Jews listen to what Piper says "The, the Messiah had arrived and he will be gathering a new people for himself the mark of this new people is not Jewishness It's not ethnicity or outward religious conformity. Okay, this is very important. He says, it's not Jewishness, but it's true inward repentance and faith. This is what John is preaching. This is what John is calling those who submitted to his baptism. uh, This is what he's calling them to do. Listen to what Piper says. What counts in God's people is not your ethnicity or religiosity, but it's who you love. It's who you love that's biblical baptism it's who you love okay? so John the Baptist laid the foundation uh, for the New Testament understanding of baptism it's an outward symbol of uh, heartfelt inward repentance and faith an outward sign of an inward reality it's turning away from sin and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ next thing I want to say to you about baptism is that we know the Lord Jesus was baptized too right Now, Jesus didn't need to be baptized in the sense that He needed to repent from sin. He was the sinless Son of God. But you remember when He came to John to be baptized, do you remember uh, that John protested? John said, you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. But you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, I think it was. Yes. Jesus says, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all Righteousness. Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness in being baptized. And while we're not like Him in His sinlessness, excuse me, sinlessness, we are like Him in that we need to fulfill all righteousness. And that's what the Lord Jesus is calling us to do as we follow Him in baptism, to fulfill all righteousness, okay? So Jesus was baptized. Not only that, Jesus... Commanded his disciples to baptize. And, and his disciples did baptize. Look at, you, can, uh, you don't have to look at it right now, but in John 4, 1, 2, it says this, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. Jesus' disciples practiced baptism in their ministry. Okay? Jesus' disciples practiced baptism. Jesus had sanctioned baptism as part of his ministry. The other thing I want to tell you is Jesus commanded all who would follow Him to be baptized. Jesus commanded all who would follow Him to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. You know the text, the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? Go forth and what? Make disciples and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have commanded. Right? Right? teaching them obedience, teaching them all that I have commanded. The Lord Jesus commands baptism for His disciples, for His followers. Now, several weeks uh, from that very, from he, when He gave that command, in several weeks, right after Pentecost, pr- uh, Peter preaches his first sermon, and Peter follows the command of Jesus. At the end of his sermon, uh, Peter tells the Jews, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ okay and what I'm doing I'm pulling this thread for you so you can see how important baptism is uh, in the New Testament um, and we also saw, saw Peter extend baptisms baptism to the Gentiles right you remember that Acts chapter 10 uh, he sanctioned the baptism of Cornelius's household so we see the baptism has moved from just not just the Jews it's for the Gentiles as well and of course in the, in the Apostle Paul's life we see Not only was Paul baptized, Acts 9.18, but he teaches uh, exhaustively on baptism. Having said all that, what I want to say, in short, baptism is a God-ordained, God-sanctioned, God-commanded ordinance. Okay? You see how important this is for the church? If we're going to call ourselves a, 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 a Christian church, you see how important it is that we understand that this is a God-ordained, a God-sanctioned, and a God-commanded ordinance. It was begun by John. Jesus was baptized. Jesus' disciples practiced baptism. Jesus commanded baptism. The apostles in the early church adhered to baptism. Okay? So we need to understand that this is God's idea. It is not man's idea. A bunch of religious guys didn't didn't huddle up and decide, well, we ought to do baptism. This is God's idea, okay? And I want you to understand that. This is God's idea. It's not some small, insignificant, obligatory Christian thing. And if that's the mindset you have about it, that's wrong. This is an awesome symbol. This is an awesome symbol of what Jesus Christ has done inside. What God has done inside, okay? That's what biblical... Baptism is about it's celebrating the fact, and it's a public pro- proclamation and the public notification that I have been changed by this God. I will never be the same, and I love Him more than anything else on the planet. That's what biblical baptism is about. Okay, that's the symbol of biblical baptism, and as Paul says, that you saw it here in Romans six four. The Christian comes and he is baptized in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's declaring that he is now walking in newness of life. The very end of verse 4 there. Walking in newness of life. And we know what, we know what uh, Paul also said in Second Corinthians 5.17. In Christ we are brand new. The old things have passed away, new things have come, and that's what biblical baptism is signifying. The old things have passed away, the new things have come, and I'm going to proclaim it to the world by following the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Okay, second thing I want to do, and I'm kind of teaching more than preaching tonight, okay? Second thing I want to do is uh, talk about the mode of baptism. The mode of baptism. How should baptism be biblically administered in the church? Okay, the first thing we'll do is we'll look at the Greek word. That's always a good place to start. We'll start with the Greek. The Greek word is baptizo, okay? Baptizo. And you go to a Greek lexicon. You can check me on this. Just go to a Greek lexicon. And it says these two or three things. It says to submerge, to immerse, to dip. Okay, you got that? This is what the Greek word means to submerge, uh, to immerse, or to dip. Okay? Uh, the next thing I want to say to you is, is that when you survey the Bible regarding baptism, immersion is the most obvious meaning of what's going on on the pages of Scripture. Okay? First, water was used Acts 10 17 uh, and 18. Regarding Cornelius' household. Peter said, Do not refuse the water for those to be baptized. I'm sorry, that's Acts ten, seventeen through forty-eight, for those of you taking notes. The second point I want to make is that much water was necessary. John three, twenty-three. Now John was was also baptizing in Anon and Salim because there was much water there. Third thing I want to say is Peter uh, people came to the water, Acts eight, thirty-six Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Fourth thing is this. People went down into the water. Acts 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Okay? The fifth thing from Scripture. People came up out of the water. Mark 1. 9 and 10. This is the Lord Jesus' baptism. Immediately he came up out of the water and he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending. Also Acts thirty-nine, Acts eight thirty-nine. Uh, they, the Philippian eunuch, uh, Philip and the eunuch came up out of the water. What I want to say to you is uh, this is what we see on the pages of Scripture. The third thing I want to say about immersion is this. It's the clear word picture that Paul is drawing for us in Romans 6, 4 and 5. It's the clear word picture. Listen to what he says. You can look at it in your own Bible. Therefore, we have been buried with Christ. We are put under the water. Okay, We have been buried with Christ through baptism into his death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection we go under the water we are the light it's a symbol of his death we are united in his death we come out of the water it's a picture of resurrection Do you understand this is what the bible is saying it's the perfect word picture for immersion in my view in my view god could not say it any clearer than he's saying it immersion is the mode of baptism and this church We'll, when we baptize, this church will baptize by immersion. And the, the, the cool thing is we have, a, we have one uh, person that has submitted themselves for baptism. We have another that's praying about it. And I suspect there may be some others. Uh, and that's one reason I felt it was important to, to preach on this. We want to try to schedule a baptismal service sometime in November. We're looking for a place right now to do that. Okay, So if any of you know of a place, let me know. Okay, so I don't know how it could be much clearer than it is on the pages of Scripture. And I want to say to you, friends, this is not my denominational preference. This is just clearly what God's Word says. Okay, this is just clearly what the Word means. Baptizo. It means immersion. And this church will practice immersion when it comes to baptism. And I love what John Piper says about immersion. You've got to love this quote. You're going to love it it involves he says it involves the whole body he says true conversion involves the whole body in and out it involves the whole body that's what true conversion does immersion is a fitting picture because becoming a christian involves the body as well as the heart the lordship of christ lays claim to our whole body we should express our acceptance of that lordship with an action that it requires our whole body Baptism by immersion gives expression to our faith that we are God's. I love this from head to toe. Are we not? If we're really His, we're His from head to head to toe. Okay, I, I just think that's a great quote. I love that quote again. Baptism is not some obligatory uh, religious thing we do. It's a great privilege and a great honor to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism and to be baptized as the bible prescribes okay it's it's an incredible incredible privilege that we can do this and let me just interject here real quick uh, i don't have time to teach at length on this but let me just say this uh, the bible teaches that baptism does not save i know that um there's some teaching out out there that 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 says says that 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 baptism is a component or that baptism baptism regenerates us or there's some component of of salvation in baptism friends the Bible is pretty clear God saves and He saves by faith by grace through faith okay and I could I could give you a, a plethora of verses I'll just give you one quick one in passing Ephesians 2 8, 9 uh, 2, 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works that anyone should boast baptism does not save but it is a precious symbol of an inward reality, okay? So I want us to understand that baptism does not save. Baptism does not... There's no mystical power in the baptism, alright? I want us to understand that. We are saved by God. We are saved by grace through faith. And when that happens in our life, we submit ourselves to biblical baptism that's the biblical pattern that's clearly what the new testament and uh, the new testament teaches okay now i want to spend just a few minutes and and i want to talk about who should be baptized and i've I've already alluded to it and to to uh, to a large degree who should be baptized the biblical answer is very clear believers okay just believers Believers should be baptized. Those who have repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's revisit Matthew 28 uh, where Jesus spoke about the Great Commission. It helps us see it and understand it. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And what are those disciples going to do? Go make disciples. That means lovers and followers of me. Go make them and then baptize them. Okay, I could give you many other verses, but for lack of time I can't. And by the way, if any of this is an utter shock to any of your systems, please come talk to me about it, okay? I'm I'm more than happy to sit down with you and talk to you about it and and open up the Word of God. And and if this is an utter shock to some of you, if you've been taught contrary to what I'm teaching, come, come talk to me, okay? Please come talk to me. But this is the command of Jesus. Make disciples and baptize them. Make disciples and baptize them. Let me just do a brief survey of, of the biblical pattern here. Believers getting baptized. Acts 2.41 at Pentecost. And those who had received His Word were baptized. Acts 8.12, the Samaritan converts. But when they believed the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Acts 8.36-39. Again, the eunuch, the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip baptized Him. Acts 9.18. The Apostle Paul after his Damascus Road salvation experience. Something like uh, scales fell from his eyes and he received his sight, and once again and, and he arose and was baptized. Acts sixteen, fourteen and fifteen, the household of Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and she and her household were baptized. ACTS eighteen eight, in Corinth, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, and many of the Corinthians, hearing and believing, they were baptized. Do you see the biblical pattern? Uh, after believing, repenting and believing, baptism. That's the biblical pattern. That's the biblical pattern for baptism. This is what God's word says, this is what God's word uh, illustrates. Biblical baptism is for those who have repented of their sins and they have come to Jesus Christ. have come to offer their lives to their lord this is what biblical baptism is meant to signify now i suspect there's some of you out here that had the same experience that i had and that karen had i was baptized uh as a child and um karen was too we were and we were different churches but we were both baptized as children but i was not converted till i was 28 I don't think Karen, I don't think she realized she was converted until she was 38. Okay? So we were baptized. We were baptized, uh, which made us official members of the church. Okay, we were on the church roll. But I was not a Christian. I was not a Christian. I've told you this before. I wouldn't have given five cents for Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I tipped my hat to him on Sunday because I knew I was supposed to. But as far as the way I lived my life, it meant nothing to me. It meant absolutely nothing to me. So, being baptized as a child, it, made, it, was, it, it was, did not mark me becoming a, a true Christian. A true Christian, as John says in uh, chapter 3, is born again. We are new creatures. We haven't just done some dead religious ordinance. We are new. And we love him. And we want to live for Him. And we want to proclaim to the world. We want to tell the whole world, He's my God. He's my Savior. And I'll follow Him in baptism because He he set the example and He commands it. Okay? He set the example and He commands it. So Karen and I, individually, we came to the same conclusion. As we studied our Bibles, we came to the conclusion that we had not been biblically baptized. Okay? Okay? So we both submitted to uh, baptism. Now, um, I had I had people say, "Well, why do you want to be rebaptized?" And here's my here was my response to them. Biblically speaking, I'd never been baptized. Do you understand what I'm saying? Biblically speaking, I had never been baptized. Now, I had done a religious thing, but I had never been baptized because I did I, Like I said, it was a dead thing for me. So I'm not being re-baptized. I'm finally being biblically baptized. This is the first time. And I'm being baptized because I love Him. Not because I'm religious, because I love Him. Do you understand the distinction? This is biblical baptism. It's not a dead religious thing. It's a heart fully engaged. It's a heart in love with their God. And that's what it is. It's a God-ordained, God-sanctioned, God-commanded pattern laid down. We are converted, then we are baptized. If you've got any questions about that, I would be happy to talk with you about it. And I want to say this too about Karen and I. Neither one of us wanted to be baptized in some legalistic way. We just wanted to proclaim what a beautiful thing God had done in our lives, right? And we were giving our hearts to Him. This was not some legalistic thing. I heard a preacher say this, and I've always remembered it. I loved it. He said, Baptism proclaims what's in your heart. It's a sermon without words. Don't you love that? It's a sermon without words. And that's how I felt uh, when I was baptized as an adult. I was preaching about the beauty and the grace and the love of this awesome God. And that's what we do. When we come for biblical baptism, we are preaching. And as a Piper said, we are preaching from head to toe. We are preaching from head to toe. So if you ask me, Jim, what was the decisive public way that New Testament Christians declared themselves for Jesus Christ? The answer is baptism. And if you ask me that today, the answer is still. If you ask me that in 2006... What is the decisive way that Christians declare themselves for Jesus Christ? It's baptism. Okay, that hasn't, that hasn't changed at all. And what I want to say to you is, some of you here may need to examine your experience. Some of you here, some of you here may need to be baptized. Some of you here may have, have been born again, um, subsequent to a religious ordinance that you performed. I would would just say prayerfully go to the Lord and talk to the Lord about it, okay? And you say, well, Jim, it sounds like maybe you're trying to get some of us baptized. Yes, I am. If you need to be baptized, I'm commanded to get you baptized. Go ye therefore, make disciples, and what? Baptize them. And if you need to be baptized, it would be my great joy to baptize you. And that's between you and the Lord. I'm not the baptism police. That is between you and God. But I want you to understand what the Bible teaches. And in a short amount of time, I've done the best I can do. But please come talk to me if, if you would like to. So as I close tonight, I say, I call upon you, if you've not been baptized biblically, I call upon you to celebrate what God has done in your life by following Him in Christian baptism. Let's pray together father thank you for this teaching we know how important it is to you i think sometimes we we fail to teach on it clearly and and, uh father i i I, i'm i'm remiss and waiting two and a half years to preach on it but father we thank you for your word how clear it is how utterly clear it is and father we just pray you'll have your good pleasure in every heart here every heart in this room father you would have your good pleasure about this issue for each of us. We give all praise and glory and honor to the Lord Jesus in whose name I pray. Amen. We're going to have communion.